Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Happy hump day, everybody. Talking some USC Trojan football. Just two practices left this spring, if you can believe that. 13 down, two to go, including the quote-unquote spring game, final practice, whatever you want to call it, on Saturday uh, at Cromwell Field uh, at noon on the USC campus. You can check that out. It's open to the public. We're going to have Dan Weber talking about what we've seen out there at USC practice, uh, get a lot of questions from all of you. You guys have sent in a lot of questions for Dan, so we'll try to get to them all. Questions going forward, you can send it to podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address, or if you would like to call or text, we've got voicemails and we've got text messages from all of you. The number is 424 254 91 Four one. That's four two four two five four nine one four one. Leave us a text or a voicemail. Remember to try to keep it brief, under a minute or so, and we'd love to play it and talk about your topic of interest here on the Peristyle Podcast. Please subscribe. Uh, iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. We're on iTunes and all the other podcasting apps. If you find one that we're not on, let me know, and I'll make sure we get added to that one as well. Leave us a review, five-star rating. All that stuff is wonderful. We do appreciate that. It helps grow the show. Ten years strong, we've been going, and uh, you know, we're going to keep it going here. We're doing multiple shows per week, even through this quote-unquote offseason, which we never really have an offseason. Dan, there just doesn't seem to be an offseason anymore. No, I just got the word that um, uh, the two dates that we always look forward to for the summer, seems like they're coming earlier and earlier. The uh, Pac-12 Media Day, uh, January – or January <laughs> uh, – July uh, 25th in Hollywood again uh, at uh, Hollywood and Highland there. And then uh, practice starts August 3rd, which is a surprise to me because the uh, opener is September 1st. And last year with an opener later than that, practice started in July. So uh, I have to check that, why uh, why practice doesn't start till August 3rd. But uh but anyway, we've got those two dates, so we're definitely looking at uh, down the road at next year already, for sure. Yeah. Maybe later start so you can get uh, more time for JT Daniels to get ready. And get... <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I'm yeah, joking. I don't know I'm not that, joking. Is that the way to start, or do you start in July and, and give JT uh, you know, five or six weeks? So, yeah. That's I mean, true. I think that that's certainly the, uh, the story that's going to hang over uh, – you know, the next two, three months as we, as we get there. And, uh, you know, you, you just, you just know you're not getting away from that story. Uh, it's interesting. I was just thinking about this. Uh, if you had to, to see how the quarterback thing is setting up, if you had two really good athletic running quarterbacks who you might consider a little bit scatter armed based on, their performance in the spring, what would you do with two quarterbacks, one of whom could play for the other one? You could basically have them interchangeable. 
and they were really athletic and they could really run. What would you do with them in the spring for a team that's, quote, run first? Wouldn't you probably run them a little bit? <laughs> sure. Have they run these guys almost any more than they ran Sam? Not much. No. Which makes you wonder, are they running an offense that J.T. Daniels is going to be able to run, to use the expression, when he gets here? Because the more I think about it, I mean, look, look at, say, Central Florida last year and how well they played with that run-pass quarterback. That little scrambler, you know, wasn't a super, super athlete, but he was competitive as heck. And if you were thinking about how you would, you know, make Matt Fink and, and Jack Sears as effective as they could be, wouldn't you think you'd put a lot of it in terms of the run game, their own run game? And wouldn't that, if you're going to try to make play action the way you're going to throw the ball, if you got a running quarterback, isn't play action even more effective, uh, you know, for the quarterback? So the more I look back at spring now and realize they haven't done much in terms of putting in the run game for the quarterbacks, I wonder, are they waiting for a quarterback <laughs> who they think can really throw the ball down the field? And that's going to be the offense. I don't know. But we, will. we just don't uh, know. It makes you think, though, doesn't it? That It's surprising now that we look at spring ball how little they've done of putting in the quarterback run with two athletes who can run the ball. Yeah, you've seen some sprint outs and stuff, but not really a whole bunch of uh, you know quarterback keepers and stuff. So I don't know. We'll see. There's been some. I think there's been a few more than what we've seen with Sam Darnold, but uh, you a would few think more. That, yeah, but it's not like a, the the. I'm just thinking that makes your run game even more uh, effective if you really you know gonna believe in it. Uh, uh, it just you know Ohio State beat USC running the quarterback. Um, Oklahoma did a pretty good job running the quarterback. Um, you know, Clemson hasn't done a bad job with a quarterback that they could certainly scramble and run with. Uh, and it's not like it's a concept that's just kind of unheard of. Now, if, you know, the offense you've seen in the spring would be the offense probably you'd run with JT Daniels, but that, is it the best offense if it's Matt Fink and, and Jack Sears? I just, I don't know. I mean, one of the things you might have a hesitation if you've only got one quarterback and you think, gosh, if we run him and he gets hurt, now what do we do? And that's what stops the NFL, I think, so often from doing that because, you know, they don't have a backup uh, that could do what, what, you know, the running quarterback does. But when you've got two of them, um, I don't know. I, it just makes me wonder. Might yeah. be a good question to ask uh, to ask Clay now. The more that we've seen this, and have to wonder uh, what exactly uh, does run first mean if you've got a couple of running potentially running quarterbacks and you're not running first with them. Because the more we see them throw the ball, the more you think run first sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to get into that a little bit more, of course, with the quarterback competition and all that. Before we do, I wanted to thank our longtime sponsor, Trader Joe's. They've been great to us over the past year or so, and uh, Dan and I both love going to Trader Joe's. There's, of course, the new one 
at USC at the University uh, Village, USC Village. So that's a pretty cool one. If you go down to campus, if you're going down this weekend to check out the spring game, they didn't let us do a tailgate on campus. We were trying to do something with Trader Joe's, but you can still go over to Trader Joe's and check it out. I definitely recommend walking over and seeing the village and Trader Joe's is one of the uh, key parts uh, of doing that. So uh, they've been in business 50 years. We've been doing the podcast for 10. They've been in business for 50. So they've been doing it a long time. Uh, I love going there to my little local one in Hermosa Beach. And uh, Dan, I know, Dan, you love going to yours as well. Yeah, uh, as an aside, walking to practice yesterday, walking behind uh, uh, a USC fan, uh, a, a very sweet lady in a wheelchair. And as she was moving along the sidewalk, I just happened to notice on the back of her wheelchair, she had her Trader Joe's bag with all the USC football stuff and what have you and had her, had her you know, that was her, her carry bag uh, on her on her wheelchair was her uh, really cool Trader Joe's bag. I didn't get a chance to tell her to be careful with a co- collector's item yet, but it was <laughs> nice to see. It was nice to see uh, she had all her stuff in her uh, Trader Joe's bag. Nice. Yeah, those are very popular bags. So um, we will try to do an event, like I said, probably later in the summer or during fall camp with Trader Joe's where we'll be able to give those bags away again. So I think we gave around 600 out in front of Trader Joe's in August. So maybe we'll do another one like we did last year in August. But we tried to do it for spring, got shut down. So we'll go forward and do something this summer or early fall. Uh, we got a lot of questions, Dan. So we'll try to we'll try to get them all. Okay. Um Let's see. We have, we'll go to uh, Dominic, the first one. He said, question for you, D-Dub. Uh, do you think the USC defense can be the best in the Pac-12 this season? What do you think? They better be. I mean, uh, I don't know that there should be a year that they're not. I mean, when you look at the recruiting, uh, what would keep USC's defense, uh, you know, obviously they got sidetracked, uh, uh, you know, with the NCAA sanctions and what have you. But uh, year after year, uh, USC has more athletes, and uh, you know it's just a matter of you know going out and doing it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would uh, you know I just there shouldn't be anybody you know and, and you know Washington has you know solidified themselves uh, you know uh, obviously up there. But uh, I just think uh, you got to go in year after year if you're USC thinking, you know, we got the best defense in the Pac-12 and, and you know, and, and we're going to, you know, make it really difficult uh, for people to score on us. Uh, I just think, I mean, I know it, it seems like, oh, gosh, that's kind of radically different from how it's been, but it's not radically different from how it should be. So, uh, yeah, I, I, and I, I think realistically, I don't think they're just blowing smoke to say, uh you know, this, this defense should be, uh, I mean, when you look at, and, and, and I know it's difficult when you look at the secondary as well as they, you know, played this spring and you look at, you know, Marvell tell and his physicality and you look at Biggie and his improvement in terms of how hard he's working and, and, and cutting rid of some of the handsy stuff and, you know, all of that. And then just playing on technique and athleticism and you see a Gen A, uh, and as Clay was talking about how his leadership and, and you see those guys without, you know, without a Jack Jones for the spring and you think, gosh, you know, shouldn't they just get better? You get Jack Jones, you get the two, uh, you know, top freshman recruits coming in. You, you see a kid like, uh, you know, Talanoa Hafanga, who just looks like he's been there forever. 
who talks about, you know, wants to, to you know, follow uh, uh, Troy Palomalu and his footsteps from, uh, you know, uh, Oregon uh, to USC. And you just think, you know, what is there to stop these guys, uh, you know, from being that, you know, that kind of a defense. So, yeah, I, I would think absolutely yes. Um, let's see. Along the same defensive lines, we have a text question from Marcellus in Las Vegas. Uh, Dan has consistently written about his confidence in this year's defense. Uh, with the offense progressing slowly, have Clay or Clancy openly expressed that we will be a defense first team? Do they even want that? Because it seems like we should be setting that tone early. Thanks. Fight on from Marcellus. Marcellus, actually, you used the words uh, yesterday. Clay, <clears throat> Clay pretty much said absolutely that. And he did qualify it with the word you just used early. Said that USC is going to have to be a defense first team early in the year, a team that, you know, has to depend on the defense to keep you in those games uh, and, and get that offense ready to, you know, to come around. They've got a, obviously a, a good, you know, tune up opener. We'll see how they approach it, you know, especially with the whole quarterback situation. Uh, and, you know, you've also got the situation of what do you show, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, Stanford and Texas, how much do you, you know, let's say if you are going to, what we were talking about before, you say you're going to run the quarterbacks and, and seriously run the quarterback. Do you do that against UNLV or do you wait till the next two weeks? Uh, I, that's, I mean, those are, you know, those are interesting questions and, 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 and not obvious answers, but I think there's clearly the answer in, in their minds is, they really have to be a defense first team early in the year. And they've got to use their defense to just keep people, especially on the road. I think that's how you win road games. And I, I, I'll say it a million times. If I were, you know, around, I would show that 2000, the highlight YouTube highlights of the uh, 2003 USC at Auburn game over and over and over and over. That's how you win games on the road against good football teams. You just don't let their offense play. You just take them out of the game. And I think they have to start thinking that, okay, we've got the kind of defense that could maybe do that. I, you know, I think it's going to lot. I mean, those guys, they had Lofa Tatupu and Matt Grudigood and Sean Cody and Kenechi Udezi and, uh, you know, Mike Patterson, and they just want to answer. I mean, they just beat, you know, they just beat Auburn up. I mean, it just flat out. Auburn didn't want to play. By the end of the game, Auburn wanted to just, you know, get off the field. They didn't want to keep playing. That's what you want this defense uh, to be able to do. And, uh, and uh, I think it's a, it's an achievable goal, uh, you know, especially in the Pac-12. Uh, it absolutely is achievable. Uh, and they got to – I think they got to start thinking in, in those terms. So, so I think you're on to something, Marcellus. I think he is too. Um, okay, let's see. Let's move over to Eric and Duck Country. If the UNLV game were tomorrow, what would the starting offensive line look like? And do you think this is the best combination? Thanks as always, Eric and Duck Country. Well, that's a good question. I think we're, I don't know. I know a lot of people think Toalobanon is absolutely written in as the starting center. I, I'm not absolutely you know, completely convinced of that is, is he going to be one of the guys? And, and I know the thought is for him going to the NFL 
is the ability to play all the positions. But um, is there somewhere else that, you know, you might say, uh, as well as the two freshman centers have played, uh, you know, do you give one of them or do you go with the two of them at that position and you say, well, we could use Toa more, you know, here or here. Uh, but, you know, so I think we're maybe, you know, a little bit ahead of ourselves to try to figure that out uh, when you got, you know, three guys that they're they're pretty pleased with the center. So you got Toa and then uh, uh, redshirt freshman Brett Nealon and, and Justin Dietrich. I don't, you know, they've, you know, they've really liked the two freshmen. So, uh, but at right guard, you know, you've got, you know, Andrew Voice and at, uh, at right tackle, you've got Chuma Adoga. And Chuma, you know, has all the talent in the world, uh, you know, that the, the ability to focus and he's had some, uh, you know, back tightening issues and that, that where he hasn't finished all the practices. Uh, but again, that would be the place where you have the ability I think that might be right tackle might be the one place that uh, Toa hasn't started a game at, but um, uh, you do have you do have that ability. Uh, then it, you know you left guard you got Chris Brown and, and left tackle with Austin Jackson not having you know worked the last few practices didn't make the Saturday uh, you know scrimmage. Uh, it certainly looks like Clayton Johnson is is, is the guy there. But, you know, that's a position, again, that, that you know, the toe has played in, in both of the guard spots. So so I think, you know, it's kind of in that general area. I don't know that I see any of the uh, uh, true first-year guys uh, in terms of the redshirt freshmen closing the gap right now. I was kind of hopeful of that. But I think one of the things that's happened is uh, the starters from last year look like they're they look a little different. They're, they're, they look like they're more in, an, in, a, in a physical attack mode. I think they're more, you know, they're, they know what happened in the Ohio State game. They remember what happened in the Alabama game two years ago. I think they know that can't happen this year. So I think they've coached them up a little differently. They've schemed it a little differently. Uh, I don't think they're, you know, as outnumbered as at the point of attack at times as, as they seemed to be last year the way they're, uh, you know, scheming up the run game. You've got a couple of 215-pound running backs behind them who look pretty comfortable running, you know, running that power downhill, you know, kind of game, which wasn't exactly, you know, Ronald Jones's game. So, so I think it's all going together. Uh, but uh, I don't know that I'm going to make a pick uh, in terms of exactly who's going to be where uh, if they were playing UNLV tomorrow. I think there's a lot – a lot – a lot still to go uh, in terms of uh, of this offensive line. Let's see. We're going to move on to, I guess, keeping with the offensive line, uh, Troy 75, any consideration given to moving Murphy? So I think he's talking about Connor Murphy playing offensive tackle. He has great size and tremendous agility. Seems like he could make it to the next level with those attributes. Fight on from Troy 75. Huh, that's interesting. I had not thought about that. Uh, uh, the tremendous agility, if that, if that would prove to be the case, would help him as a defensive lineman as well. Uh, but he's got that, you know, that six foot seven frame and, a, you know, long arms and all that. That's an interesting thought, uh, especially, uh, you know, at one of those tackle spots. Uh, you don't know that we've seen it 
work all that well, the switches from offense to defense uh, on the, you know, the front line guys, but that's an interesting thought. Uh, huh. We'll see. I mean, I know he's 260 now, which wouldn't be nearly big enough, probably, you know, this wouldn't be. Uh, but uh, he certainly has a frame that, you know, could, could be 290, 300, whether that's necessarily good for an athlete to, to put on that kind of weight or not, or, or whatever. It's worth, think, worth thinking about. I'm not sure. I think he's got the toughness. I don't know that we always see the kind of quick twitch uh, ability that you need to play on the edge, which is why on, on defense which is why you see him with his hand down, you know, at the line of scrimmage more now. Uh, it's an interesting thought. Um, I don't know. I might raise that with somebody, but uh, interesting, uh, interesting thought. That's a good one. A couple more defenders uh, on this one. It's a text question from uh, Chris. He lives, he's from Long Beach, but he lives in San Francisco. He said, how are Christian Rector and Liam Jimmins looking? How heavy do they look? Fight on from Chris. I think they, you know, they look kind of where they, I don't know that I've noticed a big change in either one of them. Uh, I think they're, you know, they're where they, they want to be. They want, you know, want to, you know, I think Christian is just one of those guys that seems to, you know, get into the right place at the right time. Uh, he's got a, an elusiveness about him, a kind of a, you know, a, a flexibility uh, that allows him to be, you know, I know they think of him as a, you know, pass special, you know, passing down specialist guy. Uh, I think he's played the run pretty well this, uh, this spring. As far as Liam Jimmons, he's been in there, you know, the whole time with this, you know, with that second group and he's a big, strong, you know, athletic looking guy. Uh, and I just think, you know, that movement and just, you know, being, you know, in the right place and, and, and having the right reaction, being able to, play with your hands and do all the things uh, you need to do. Uh, but, uh, but I think they're, they're counting on him more. Now they've got, you know, you've got the, uh, on the more of the inside, the one three technique guys, you've got the, you know, Brandon Peely and uh, Marlon uh, Tui Palutu and Jay uh, Tofeli. So you got some competition there of, of the big bodied kids, but, uh, but, you know, they've got a lot of guys that can, uh, you know, play in and out of that lineup. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how the rotation works and, you know, how hard they go with them and what they get out of them. I, I, I will say this, Ohio State played, you know, seven guys up there last year and obviously uh, didn't seem to hurt the Buckeyes at all with that, uh, you know, fairly extensive rotation. And uh, so you would think USC – with this group is looking to go in that direction. And if that's the case, Liam would be, I, I think a part of the mix. We had a couple of questions from Paul and Santa Clarita. Uh, his first one, you talked about a little bit. He said, are you seeing the quarterbacks participating in drills to help them avoid hits similar to the running back trash can drill? Should they be participating in these types of drills? Since the expectation is they will be asked to carry the ball more. You know, that's a, that's a good thought, and you don't see it as much with quarterbacks. I think it's hard coaching quarterbacks in terms of uh, uh, how much physicality. I mean, I thought that was always the hard thing in evaluating, the, you know, the Sam Darnold, Max Brown, uh, you know, battle 
back and forth was you couldn't put them under a uh, real game physical pressure that that Sam thrived you know that was he was just you know waiting for that he couldn't you know wait to to play against it and handle it <clears throat> but as far as uh, you know doing running back drills with the quarterbacks interesting it's another you guys are coming up with interesting questions that's a question to ask Brian Ellis I think uh, I don't know that we've seen a lot of absolute focus on quarterbacks as running backs I think they when they do quarterback specialty stuff it's quarterback specialty stuff. It's ball handling, uh, it's movement, and it's throwing the ball. Uh, but uh, that's a, that, I think that's worth worth talking about. I mean, one of the things with quarterbacks is even in full tackle scrimmages, they don't get tackled. So they don't have that much of an opportunity to really work on uh, uh, on their you know ball security skills and uh, and obviously that you know probably cost uh usc probably cost sam darnold last year because it's just not a way exactly to do it but uh but maybe incorporating some of the uh, uh you know deland mccullough stuff huh give away if you if you see them doing that you'll know they maybe had a change of heart in terms of the quarterbacks and run first offense uh but uh I think that's a good thought. And his second question was, is Talanoa Hufunga athletic enough to get on the field as a nickelback? I think he's athletic enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's, uh, he's just smooth as can be. He, he, he absolutely does not look like he's 215 pounds. Uh, like I had asking that yesterday again, cause it's hard to believe he is 215. He, uh, he just moves so easily. Um, you know, he, he basically played every play in high school and did everything he could do with them. So, uh, I think he'd be, uh, you know, an excellent, uh, an excellent nickel. Uh, so, you know, I think there are uh, several different ways he can get on the field and, you know, you're hoping they're trying to figure those out. I just think he's somebody that USC probably needs on the field. You, you, you don't always have that sense about a freshman, but with him, uh, and uh, obviously this year you've got a really, you know, a talent heavy secondary. I mean, you just start looking at those safeties that haven't played yet and how many of those guys are there. Uh, and, um, and yet it's just, um, his ball skills are, are really good. Uh, he anticipates the, uh, you know, catches everything. And he catches it on the move. I mean, when he catches it, he's not like, okay, now I got it. Now I got to stop going that way and I'm coming back. Uh-uh. He's catching it and moving the other way uh, before he even catches it. So uh doesn't look like a freshman. does look like he could be a, a nickel without a doubt. We have a, uh, speaking of defensive backs, we have a voicemail question for you. I'll play it right now. Hello. How you doing, Ryan? This is Skill, the D from Los Angeles. Um, quick question for either um, Coach Hyde or Dan Weber. Um, I was wondering, um, far as me being at every practice, um, it seems to that um, is it that um, Iman Marshall can't be replaced because it seems like um, Jonathan Lockett been playing well, and um, I, I see Iman Marshall more as, as as a linebacker, and he's more stiff in the secondary. So um, just a question of 
can any of those guys be replaced in sliding in um, the fifth-year senior, Jonathan Larkin, because he's been very impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know if it's got to be either or, you know, that one of them has to replace. Uh, yeah, first of all, I'll say this. Uh, Iman doesn't look like the uh, Iman that I think we've been used to seeing in terms of maybe some stiffness, in terms of um, overly competitiveness and, and not letting somebody run by him and all that kind of thing where he's focused maybe on coming up and making a tackle and the guy makes a move and, uh, he's got to react, and and I don't see that this year. I see a I see a guy that's playing first with his feet and his eyes, and I really like what I'm seeing of of Iman. I just think he's he looks like a cornerback now. He didn't always look like a cornerback. He looked like the you know he looked like a safety trying to play corner, or he looked like you know a strong safety wanted to come up and bang somebody you know. And and there he is now. He looks like he's a finesse guy. I was kidding him there, and I said. You used to always use the word physical, uh, and I'm I'm looking at finesse for you right now. So uh, so I I I don't know that you gotta you know take uh, Iman out of there, but that doesn't mean that Jonathan, uh, with his uh, strength now, he's you know he's not the little guy at 175. He's 185. He's moving better now that he's had his hips uh, you know worked on. Uh, that that's worked really well. Um, he's got that. Um, in a fifth year senior smarts and uh and yet he's got the strength he said you know when they do your hips like that uh they you know smooth out that cartilage and all of that he said you got a lot of chance to work on your upper body while that's uh while that's healing last year and so he said he's a lot stronger he played a fade uh at at practice uh, in the end zone gosh i'm not trying to think who it was against but maybe tyler uh, maybe Pittman, but just played it as well as you could possibly play it and, and playing like a strong, smart uh, senior. So I don't know that you have to be either or. I mean, I, I could see, you know, both of those guys, you know, on the field together. They've done that some this spring. And, uh, uh, you know, I think they're they're really impressed with Jonathan uh, as you should be. I mean, I just think he's, uh, he's going to be on the field this year. And so, uh, you know, Jack Jones will be back, but he's not playing in the first game. So I think he's going to have some work to do, uh, you know, to get on the field. But, uh, man, it's uh, really nice to see, uh, uh, you know, a Jonathan. They have two senior corners. Uh, this doesn't seem like it's been a while since USC kind of goes into a season feeling really good about the corners. And uh, the corners in Clancy defense, corners are – you know, on on an island a lot. They're you know they trust them to you got to take care of this, and uh, I think they've got a chance uh, with these with these guys. But I but I could see both of them together. You don't have to sit one of them to play the other. We had a text question. Uh, this is from Clayton. He said, "Watching Brian Ellis, the quarterback coach, speaking after practice was a breath of fresh air. He seemed to be aware and highlight the problems that everyone else is seeing. That being said." What preparation are being made now to get JT Daniels prepared for the fall competition? I know he's been to practice, but in what ways are the coaches allowed to prepare him? Can he start studying film at home, study the playbook, etc.? Thanks for the great coverage. Clayton, class of 2011. Yeah, he, he got the playbook, I guess, the day you know, after he signed. Uh, he can get all the 
you know, the practice, get all the videos that, that he, you know, he can possibly handle. He can get the practice, you know, you see him walking around at practice with the practice plan. Uh, you see him as close as he can possibly be, you know, to the quarterbacks and the coaches. Uh, they can't coach him up, but they can answer his questions. Uh, you know, he can't have a football. Uh, but uh, he can go, you know, he can come in and go to their office and sit down and, and go over stuff with them. Uh, it's kind of on him. Uh, but uh, I would think everything that they can possibly do, they are doing. Everything that they can legally do, uh, they're doing. I think a lot of that is JT's own doing. I mean, that's who JT is. I mean, that's why he is uh, JT. He, this is his life. This is all he's ever wanted to do. And um, so I don't think he's leaving. I mean, they're not having to chase him down to get him to, to do his USC football stuff. He's, uh, he's doing as much as you can possibly do. And uh, I think uh, he'll be as ready as you could possibly be having not come in in the spring uh, uh, for, for what's going to happen in the summer. That's, you know, obviously how, how much that is and, and, and all of that, um, how much is doable. Uh, I don't think we can know, uh, how much he can do. Uh, I mean, you hear the term and I don't know that I've heard this term for anybody else that I can remember, but the quarterback savant, you know, that he's just, one of these, you know, special sort of a, you know, kid that is just sort of, you know, been groomed and destined and, you know, by, by his own interest uh, to be kind of, you know, one of a kind in terms of the, how he, you know, approaches the quarterback situation. So we'll see, you know, there were times last year, he looked like it. He certainly looked like it in the all-star game. Uh, you know, the, uh, you had the two kids from Georgia who were, you know, the best quarterbacks and, you know, anybody's ever seen, blah, blah, blah. And, and obviously JT looked better in the game. He was more, you know, poised and threw the ball more accurately and more comfortable. Everybody says during the week in practice that he was the go-to guy as far as what are we doing? How do we, you know, do this and all that. And here he's coming in off of a junior season. Now he's, you know, the right age as a senior, and he was held back. So he, he doesn't have an age issue, I don't think. And, you know, started three years at modern day. Uh, you know, does that transfer? You know, freshman quarterbacks have been transferring from, you know, uh, obviously Alabama wins a national championship with a fre- true freshman quarterback. Uh, Georgia got as far as you can go with a you know freshman quarterback. Uh, it's happening. Uh, it's a different world out there now. So, uh, uh, you would think he's got a chance, uh, but it won't be for uh, USC or JT not doing everything they can possibly do uh, between now and uh, the start of summer uh, practice, August 3rd. Yeah, agree 100% there. He's doing whatever he can. Um, we got one from Tarek. When, wa- uh, when he was hired, Clay Hilton said he wanted to have a run-first team, but we have not seen that in the first two years. Why would we believe this year will be different when there is another blue chip quarterback coming in that Helton will fall in love with? Uh, Tarek, that's your question for him. Well, I think the timing might be that uh, it's hard to 
as as much as we you know you might think of of JT or much as you know you could make the case for him, uh, you know he's not going to be Sam Darnold on day one, and I just think they know uh, you don't know how that's all going to turn out, and, and and it could be you know you could make the case for any one of the three, and so. I don't think it's what they say. I mean, I, I just think, you know, we, we may be at times, uh, because all the, you know, you know, the videos of all the post-practice pressers and all that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I would, I would be skeptical just because somebody says we're going to be run first, that they're going to be run first. Obviously they said it and they weren't. Uh, but it's how they coach it, how they approach it, how they scheme it. Uh, if you watch last, and I didn't say, I didn't go along with that until last Saturday scrimmage. And at last Saturday, more with the way the offensive line attacked, uh, uh, you know, their blocking responsibilities and, and attacked a pretty good defensive line. And then you watch uh, a pair of 215 pound running backs who have real skills. I mean, Arca Cedric and, 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 uh, Vavai, um, Malapai, I bet are just, they're skilled running backs, but they're now 215 pounds or revised 220. Although I think he wants to play at 215, uh, they can make some. They can do some things, and 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 so I'm. A, and then you you, you figure Stephen Carr, you added a you know mix a, a guy with a little bit of a home run threat, and I also think all three of those guys are really good pass receivers, and I'm kind of of the belief. Uh, Gosh, I still remember. I was the SID at Xavier, and we played in a basketball tournament at Brigham Young and in December, and they were getting ready for a bowl game. And I remember, and here's the high school football coach in me, <coughs> I would go out and watch uh, Brigham Young's football practices. Hell, there was nobody around, so they didn't mind. And I remember thinking – Sure, they throw the ball a lot, but basically those are just long handoffs. And I think you're going to see, whether you call it run or not, I think you're going to see a lot of throwing the ball to the running backs out of the backfield that, in effect, are going to be low-risk, uh, uh, long handoffs. So I think you're going to see things that, uh, that we haven't seen before. I think they're doing things that we haven't seen before. So I don't think you should depend on what they say. I think you got to look at what they're doing. And I think with the, the combination of what they're doing with the, um, with the, with the offensive line and the running backs and the way they called way T Martin called the scrimmage, uh, Saturday, I think he got into a, a real run first rhythm, of uh, that, I, that I really liked and, I think that's a comfort level we need to see out of out of T in the offense, but I think they're moving in that direction. So I don't blame you for being skeptical, but I think what they're doing shows us that that I think they more believe in it and, and that this is who they have to be. I don't think they've got as many choice. One of the things last year I thought the negative of having Sam Darnold and having Ronald Jones, the home run hitter, fifth all-time leading rusher and Deontay Burnett, who ends up as the all-time, you know, record-holding pass receiver in both the Rose Bowl and the Cotton Bowl is 
they could do kind of anything they thought. They had this sense of, well, we can do this or we can do that or we can do this or da 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 da. <clears throat> and I don't know that they ever had that kind of discipline in play calling and scheming and all of that that got them to where in any one given game, this is how they were going to play. And this is how they had to play. And this is absolutely what they were going to do. So when they said run first, I don't think it really meant anything. But I think it does now. I don't think they've got the option of, well, we'll let Sam win it for us. So we'll let Deontay make a bunch of catches or we'll let, uh, you know, Ronald will break a couple of, you know, guys are off the table. So I think it's a different approach. And I do believe it's a different approach. It's not, you know, no, I don't, I don't blame you. You don't have to believe them, but uh, they got to make you believe them with what they do. And they got to believe it themselves. I think they do. Yeah, I agree. I kind of think they do too, but we'll see. It's, it's just hard to tell a lot, but a lot of time between now and the opener. Um, William B wrote in, he said, my take is that coach Bradford is more enthusiastic due to, he said, just being able to focus on cornerbacks as Clancy has the safeties this season. And as others have said, a deeper bench. Finally, Jack Jones isn't around to muddy the water. Uh, uh, so no way, no no Jack in the mix may be helping Biggie focus. That'll make anyone uh, peppier. Just saying, what say you all? Thanks from William B. Uh, I think the B, uh, William, sound, stands for bingo. I think uh, the, the not having Jack Jones around for the spring, I think has made it a, a better. And we all like Jack, but... Jack would be one of those kids if you were teaching a class that you might like uh, uh, his personality and his approach and his fun-loving, blah, 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 and all that, but it might not help the class necessarily. So uh, Jack didn't, when, when you know, we, we do get to see the corners up close and I mean, that's the one group we get to watch. And Last year, Jack had kind of a devil-may-care attitude about whatever the particular teaching point would have been. He might do it. Maybe he wouldn't do it. Maybe he'd just look at you like, oh, that? I'm... He's not there now. And, and Coach Bradford is really getting after it in terms of detail, in terms of yeah, they're paying attention, and they know. I think they all. It, I think it's a combination of a lot of things, but I don't think you're totally wrong that not having Jack there has probably helped things. And I hope that message gets back to Jack, that uh, you know he's not indispensable. He's not you know somebody that they can't do without, and he really has to do what they want him to do, the way everybody does it. And there isn't any place for, you know, somebody to just say, hey, I can do it my way. Uh, no. That, so um, is, what do they say? Addition by subtraction? My wow. key. Pretty tough. Five-star <laughs> five guy you're talking about there. Uh, but, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> we'll see if it you know changes the chemistry, too, when he comes back and he's out for the first game. If you remember two years ago, Isaiah Langley, who was po he wasn't a starter before, but he was poised to be the starting cornerback, 
got suspended over the offseason and didn't get to play in the Alabama game. And we never really saw much after that. So I'm not saying the same thing's going to happen to Jack Jones, but it's happened two years ago to, you know, something similar. Well, and it's not like, you know, I think the Jonathan Lockett return uh, changes the equation. It might have changed it last year if he'd have been healthy. Uh, and then the two incoming freshmen, uh, you know, with all the talent that those guys are bringing in with them. I, it'd be interesting. I mean, I, I think competition is a very good thing. And I think in this case, I think competition will, uh, will do nothing but help here. Nothing but help. Bear Secuta wrote in, said, Dan, it looks pretty, pretty clear that Vaughn's Pittman, and he says Venus Jones, but I think he means somebody else, <laughs> are the three best wide receivers right now. Can any of them play in the slot position, though? I.e., can T. Martin get his three best wide receivers on the field at the same time, or does he start, say, Trayvon Sidney or wait, hope for Amon Ra St. Brown to arrive? That's Bear Secuta. Honestly, I think they can all play there. I mean, I don't know that you want them there, but, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, Vilas has shown us the ability to play almost anywhere. Uh, his improvement, his just, you know, 201 pounds, and his he, he looks more flexible. He uh, he doesn't look like he's looking for a place to, to fall down. His hands, I mean, you know, I know he talked about, catching tennis balls off the jug guns, it really looks like he's, uh, you know, catching, uh, uh, you know, doing that. I mean, he, he has a whole different look about it. So I think, you know, Vilas is going to be the guy that they move around uh, all over the place. And he looks really comfortable doing that. He looks comfortable running out of the, you know, the flanker reverse stuff and the jet sweeps. And uh, um, so, so I think those three can play together. I don't, I don't think there's any, any question that they can. Uh, and it, it really depends on, on what they're going to do, uh, you know, in terms of the run game and with the slot guy and how they're going to block him and, and, and all that kind of thing, uh, who, you put, who you put there. But, um, but, but I'm pretty comfortable with those three. And then I'm on, I just think he's got to be a factor. He, he's, his confidence and his strength and – you know, his hand and uh, all of that, uh, you know, this, it's one of those positions where you can walk in in, uh, in the summer and, and, and get on the field in the fall. And uh, so now they just got to get the ball. To, I mean, I think those guys can all do what you need receivers to do and, and what, however grouping you do, you just got to get the ball to them. Uh, uh, at this point, uh, you know, feel comfortable and confident uh, that you can get the ball to those guys. But, uh, but, uh, but when you talk to T, T says this group as a group can be as, as good or better than any group he's had at USC, you know, covers a lot of territory. Uh, But, uh, but I think they're pretty happy about uh, the wide receivers just as wide receivers now. Getting them a ball uh, consistently is, is going to be the key. But uh, but yeah, I think I think they can all. I think they're all pretty confident uh, in whatever you know position you know they end up in. I, I don't I don't get the sense that you know oh, he can't go there, or whatever. That that's kind of not how they've been coaching him uh, in recent years. They they kind of you know look for guys that can you know 
line up anywhere. And I, I think this group can do that. We got a question from Mark uh, from Crown City. He says, hey, Ryan and Dan, having attended last week's practices and Saturday's scrimmage and watched the new look Trojan offense, is it fair to say that Coach Drevno has had a significant impact in moving the quarterbacks under center more often, more often, uh, and as well as bringing in heavy blocking packages. The changes have paid dividends with a young, hungry offensive line, and the power backs both said and, via- and uh, Vavai have now become. Also, if Coach Drevno's presence has resulted in this type of long overdue offensive scheme uh, adjustment, what does that say for his likely assumption of the offensive coordinator role once T finally uh, bites on the head coaching role next season? Uh, we can only hope. That's fight on, Mark from Crown City. Mark, I think, you know, Drevno was only here, uh, you know, I don't know, barely a couple of weeks at that. <clears throat> and uh, I know one thing, when I mean, you talked to him, he said, I haven't even watched any film the last year and all that. I think, I mean, it's certainly uh, helped that he walked in there, but I think he has known what they have to do. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. I think Clay knows what they got to do. I think Neil Calloway knows what they got to do. Having Drevno be a guy who's been, you know, kind of a, you know, the run guy and the, you know, O-line guy and the, you know, coordinator at Michigan where they didn't have a quarterback. I mean, they didn't have much choice at, at Michigan. And obviously, um, you know, they had Harbaugh. And <clears throat> how much of a, a coordinator's responsibilities you get with the title at Michigan, I don't know. But um, but I do think he it's a good, you know, it's it, it, it's a hire that helps you move in the direction I think you were already moving. But I don't think it's the, uh, you know, oh, wait, uh, Drevno's got an idea. And they ask him and he said, yeah, why don't we be run first with, you know, heavy package? No, no, I think they, I think they knew they had to go that route. I just think he helps them get there. And I think it looks like they're working pretty well together. Uh, and that they're all on the same, uh, that they all knew that. I mean, I think, you know, you, you didn't have to watch, all of last year's games. And I, I think they didn't know how to get away from, well, let's let Sam do it uh, mentality. And they just, you know, they didn't block people consistently enough and um, they were scrambling uh, an awful lot of the time. And I think they know this year they can't be scrambling. They got to do what they do really well. And uh, I think the approach I don't know that they'd be in a different place if Drevno weren't here. I think they'd still be going in this uh, this basic direction that you saw Saturday, but I think he helps them get there. Uh, so I think it, and I think it's just a confidence level that him being here and Clay really respecting him as a run game guy helps them all be on that, you know, on that same run first. Uh, this is how we're going to do it uh, where they all, are listening to one another. So I think it works that way, but I'm not sure that it was as a result of him, but, but more of him getting on the train that had already left the station and, and he's, uh, you know, going to help you get there and, 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 and in a good way, I think. We had a text from uh, Alex in Stockton. He said, Hey Ryan, do you or Dan have any information or tips for attending the final practice, i.e. parking activities, tailgating thanks uh, yeah. from Alex so that's Saturday at noon like I said at uh, Cromwell Field 
uh, is when the final uh, practice will be. I'd get there early. I, I mean, you know, we're talking a couple of thousand, a couple of thousand seats, whether they'll let people <coughs> stay in around the field. I mean, one of the, the difficulties of having at Cromwell is there's just not much room. So uh, it's already compacted. Uh, you don't have the extra room for, uh, you know, uh, for the different position drills and things like that. And if they're, you know, getting ready for a game, they maybe won't do anywhere near as extensive offensive line, defensive line, all that kind of thing. But, uh, uh, and special teams, but, uh, but I'd get there early. I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be much, uh, after 11, I don't think, uh, I park at the, uh, I mean, I, you know, you come in off exposition there at, um, uh, I mean, you got either or off Vermont and, you know, park in, uh, park in that, I think it's garage number five, right? I'm not, I'm not always sure, uh, that, uh, and you know, you're, you're barely two blocks from, uh, from the, uh, you know, the practice, uh, from where the practice is going to be at, uh, at Cromwell. Uh, but, uh, although, I mean, you know, on a nice Saturday morning, uh, anywhere you park on campus is fine. And you could walk, you know, you know, what, five minutes to whatever gate you come in and whatever, you know, garage you park in, you're not going to be that far away and you will not miss tailgating. Cause there isn't going to be any, uh, <laughs> but, but enjoy the campus. And, uh, I mean, that's one of the nice things about having it on a Saturday is there's not as much going on. Although for some reason, there seems to be something going on on that campus or a lot of something going on every single day. I mean, it's just a, a, a beehive of activity. I mean, there are people in tour groups and visitors and you name it uh, all the time. So, I mean, I think the earlier, the better, give yourself time to walk around and look at the new buildings, you know, stop, look at Annenberg, you know, go to heritage hall, uh, take your time, enjoy yourself. But, uh, but I would recommend early. Yeah. Same thing. And like, we tried to do a tailgate, uh, USC said they're not going to allow any tailgating, uh, for the spring game. So you can't do that. But like I said, you could go over to, uh, if you want to get a little snack or something, go check out the USC village. Um, that's a cool spot. So there's, there's restaurants there. And like I said, you can go to Trader Joe's and pick something up if you want and walk around the campus. It should be a beautiful day. And I think you'll enjoy it. Um, all right. So there's a couple of people wrote in Dan about the Dan Weber game. So we're talking about the, uh, the, you mentioned at the top, the USC Auburn game from 2003, I believe it was. So I'll read, I'll read you these and kind of get your comments. First bill in Plano. Uh, he said he was at the game. He sweated his rear off uh, in the upper deck facing the sun until it went down. I seem to remember that one or more of the defensive linemen had very low body fat for guys who play on the trenches. One had like 8% or something. I'd only expect from a corner or a wide receiver. I agree with Dan that the talent level is about the same, but what about the nutrition and strength and conditioning aspect? Our current defensive lines seem overall a little fluffy compared to 03. P.S. I got home from that game, and my next-door neighbor who is Vern Lundquist's brother, says, hey, if I'd have known you'd have been there, Vern could have visited with you before the game. He said that would have been cool, both literally and physically. So that was from Bill. And we also had uh, Don write in, uh, decided to watch the Dan Weber game. USC will never be that dominant again unless Clay Helton changes his philosophy. These current USC teams do not have the same competitive spirit. The current defense is capable of shutting down the Pac-12 Will they be able to shut down the SEC slash Big Ten and other conference 
champions. I believe in Clancy and his defensive coordinator abilities. What does Helton have to do to get to that elite level? JT is so much better than Jack and Matt. He needs to start even if he gets to camp just before the first game. There is a bigger gap between JT and his competition than there was between Sam and Max. Uh, that's from Don. So a couple guys, Bill yeah, and I mean, Don. I, I, good. You know, I think, yeah, I, I honestly, I have made the case to coaches <coughs> that I would show them that Auburn film every day between now and the start of the season. Honest to God, I'm that impressed with. I was there. I don't. I don't even remember them going after Auburn in person as much as when I see it on film. And I just think, oh, my goodness, look at that. I mean, that was a really good Auburn team. That was an Auburn team that was unbeaten the next year and thought they were the national champs. They sent all kinds of guys on to the NFL, all kinds of starting backs and quarterbacks and running backs, and uh, they didn't have a chance. I mean, USC didn't let them in the game. They just flat out just beat them up. I mean, and they went after him. I mean, it was unfair almost. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Can this team play with that kind of, you know, ferocity? Uh, Can those, you know, can Marlon and uh, and Jay and uh, um, those guys, I mean, uh, and Brandon, can they be, you know, the Sean Cody, Kenichi Udezi uh, type guys that just flew by him and just, threw them to the ground. I mean, can you get linebackers that can play like Lofa and, and Matt Grudiger did, uh, uh, you know, or, or Darnell Bing, uh, first game he ever played in his life and first pass Auburn throws, he intercepts it. The Auburn quarterback was running for his life. Obviously he probably shouldn't have thrown the ball that, that deep in their own territory. I don't think they, I think, uh, Auburn coach Tommy Tuberville knew how athletic, how quick, how active USC's uh, defense was. I don't think he knew they were as good. I don't think we did. I don't think anybody did as good as, as that team. Uh, and if they can play with that kind of ferocity and togetherness, uh, 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 yeah, I think you got to go into the year thinking we're going to be better than the Pac-12. We're just going to be. Uh, can you make that next step up? Can you be better than the Ohio States and the Notre Dames when they're when they're good and whoever else you know you might end up playing? I think that's what this team has to to look forward to as to you know as to a goal is we're not going to just be that team. We're going to be that you know we're going to be that 2003 team. We're going to be that team that just doesn't let anybody play against us or you know uh, you know. It makes life just really, really difficult, and that's how you win. That's how you win on the road early in the year, when teams aren't really quite where they hope to be either, and you just take them out of their game. Uh, but yeah, I think because I asked Clay that yesterday, whether I said, "What do you feel like when the quarterbacks that you're working with are throwing balls that you got guys like Marvell Tell and Biggie, you know, uh, Marshall breaking perfectly on?" And, you know, pick sixes just off their fingertips, you know, and, and Clay said, you know, first you want to, you know, puke in a bucket when you think about what happened with your quarterbacks, but then you got to realize this is how we're going to win football games with this defense. So I think it's a, you know, a little bit of a, and let's face it, USC 
after Pete, the defensive coach, you had three straight quarterbacks in, in Lane and Sark and, <coughs> and Clay. <coughs> and you really need to, I think, not think like a quarterback if you're going to be a head coach. And I think in this case, you want to think like, um, you know, like Pete did, uh, you know, a defense first. And Clay did say that yesterday. That's what defense wins championships and defense wins those games on the road. And I think, you know, you really have to believe that. And you got to feel great about those guys making those plays and, and taking things away uh, as much as that, you know, maybe worries you a little bit about the offense. But I think this offense will be better for having had to play against the defense is just trying to not let them do anything. Uh, but, uh, but you're right. If they can get, if they get anywhere near that 2003 defense, um, this, uh, this team will have a chance. All right. Um, we got a couple more, uh, sort of off topic ish. We'll let, then we'll let you go. Chris, uh, another one from Chris at long beach and living in San Fran, uh, after the 10th practice, Coach Helton mentioned he wished he could have 10 more practices. A lot of coaches say stuff like this. My question is, is there any discussion around the NCAA extending spring camp? Do you think, uh, do, do you guys think there's any chance spring camp could one day be the entire length of the spring semester? Since you guys see practice face on, do you think it would be a good idea to extend spring practice even by a little? Fight on from Chris. Chris, no, I don't think so. I think 15... 15- you can't get it done in 15 uh, because you got them the whole time. I mean, you know, they may not, they may practice Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, but you got them Monday, Wednesday, you know, and Friday also. Uh, so no, I don't, I think 15 is enough. And uh, uh, you know, they, uh, I think, you know, it doesn't help you, for example, uh, with the guys that are coming in in the summer, uh, they're not going to be here. Uh, and, and they've kind of extended, you know, summer practice. You're going to get 25 workouts. So, uh, that ought to be enough. I, I think 40 workouts with, uh, spring and summer together. I think that's enough to get ready for next season with, you know, all the winter, winter work, conditioning and strength and the summer conditioning and strength and throwing. Um, uh, I think, I think it's enough. I like there, I, I don't know that you need to do any more you know, than they're doing now. I think, um, you know, you just got to be really effective with what you're doing. You got to know what you're doing, why you're doing it <laughs> and, and what you're doing. You have to get it right. You got to be doing the right thing. And, uh, this is a team I think that is, is very, very, uh, uh, the success of this year's team is really, and, and I, I know this is obvious in college football, it really dependent on the success of the coaches. And this is a, a very, uh, this is a year when coaching is just all important. I mean, you know, there are years, you know, it's always in college football, it's always in basketball the same way. You know, the, the best coaches uh, are the guys that are standing at the end of the year. I mean, here, Nick, like Nick Saban yesterday, they're at the White House, they're at the Rose Garden. We were kidding on the sidelines. They were, we thought they, did they take pads where they were, you know, were they hitting? Uh, you know, while they were waiting for, you know, the president. But here was Nick Saban at the White House making recruiting phone calls uh, yesterday. So that's what you need. I mean, the guy's relentless, and you got to be relentless. You just have to do it all right. And he's, you know, whatever the rules are, he's going to take advantage of them. Whatever the coaching uh, 
you know, hires are out there or guys that are still getting paid by their old school and he can get them as interns, uh, you know, he's going to do it and he's been doing it. And, you know, two of them are at USC's expense to some extent. Uh, (laughs) And so that's how you compete. And I think USC (coughs) is doing some of that. I mean, they've got, uh, you know, they got coach Drevna who's still, you know, he got, uh, a, a, a nice walking away, uh, you know, present from Michigan. Um, they got the, uh, the forest guy who, uh, got let go at, at Kansas. Um, and, uh, so they, they're, they're doing some of that USC is, and, uh, I think you have to, you have to kind of, you know, compete where, where the competition is. And, uh, um, so, but I think this is a real coaching heavy year. I, like, um, uh, just, when you have guys, for example, that have maybe been uh, two years, they're allowed to be uh, graduate assistants for two years. And now you're starting to see those guys get bumped up to analysts and where they add an analyst or whatever, instead of, you know, after they've had them, you know, uh, around the program for a couple of years and then say, okay, we're going to keep you around. We'll figure out a way to, to keep you around. I think that's the kind of thing, you, you have to do at this point uh, uh, to compete at that very, very elite top level. We have a uh, Pac-12 question on a voicemail. I'll play it for you and get your thoughts. JD from D.C. with this week's question for Dan. Dan, with the recent breaking news that uh, the Pac-12 left approximately $30 million on the table through its inept lack of competitive uh, participation in the NCAA tournament, um don't you think it's about time that Max and or the board of directors got on this whole conference issue? I mean, from a fiscal and competitive standpoint, it's an absolute disaster. We're talking, you know, back of the envelope, 20 plus million dollars that USC is leaving on the table every day because of the, basically the way the conference is run. You know, at some point, I understand this is USC. It's all about money, but this is real money. I mean, if that money isn't coming in from the conference, Max has got to go out and raise it, right? Yeah, I think I think the, I would pick my fi- uh, spots, and, and Max is the uh, <coughs> uh, CEO group of the CEO group of the Pac-12. Max is in charge. Max is a, well, he's the head. Let's say that. Um, and I think I'd pick my spots, and I, I think the first one I picked was. I think USC and UCLA should go together and say it's time to deep six the Pac-12 network. It's not worth it. Uh, why is USC's game, uh, whatever you want to call it, Saturday at noon? Because the Pac-12 network wanted it there for their programming of, of spring games. I mean, who cares what the Pac-12 network wants to do? And why should USC, for the little money that they're getting, I think they're now, Pac-12 has, had the most precipitous drop. Uh, they, they've gone from 11 million to 19 million homes, which is like a drop in the bucket because they're on Disc Network or whatever. But they've dropped off. They're getting like five cents a home or something. And it's like they've had the largest drop in subscriber fees of anybody, yeah. uh, any of the networks in the country. It's ridiculous how bad it is now. It went, I think it went uh, from 30 cents to 11 cents. But the new one, the, the new homes that were added were because of like Sling which is owned by Dish, uh, but those only get the the regional networks, and those you're, they're only paying five cents per. So they added more, but they added someone that's paying a lot less, and it's brought the average down. So there was only like four networks 
that dropped, and one of them happened to be the Tennis Channel where Larry's <laughs> used to be. So, but the, yeah. like like Dan said, the Pac-12 dropped the most of all the networks that dropped. Yeah, and so okay, and they're saying, well, but we're still we'll, we'll give each school like two point seven five million, and I I I can't I can't even guess what the numbers would be, but. <clears throat> let's say we know that uh, uh, from a guy who did this uh, for Iowa state, that Iowa state was taking in because they don't have a network in the, in the big 12. Uh, so they did their own basketball and football games that weren't on the, the major network. So if USC could market its own basketball and uh, its own football uh, separate from the ones that, that, that are with the Pac-12 network, let's just say the two or three games that go on the Pac-12 network. USC had the ability to do that. They would make, and UCLA the same way, so much more than the $2.75 million that they're going to get from the network this year. And, and that's so, you know, that's just peanuts compared to what the SEC and the Big Ten networks are going to distribute. And and what does it do? It doesn't do anything other than bring you bad, you know, game times and bad starts. And, uh, uh, it's, 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 and nobody sees it. I mean, that they literally are, are essentially family members are watching and nobody else. And, uh, and, and the problem is most of them go to the games in person. So you only have maybe house homebound family members who, uh, watch the PAC 12 network. Uh, it's, it's a disaster, and I, I do think that would be the place to start, to just say, look, why don't we just shut it down, sell the equipment, tell everybody to go away. Uh, we'd save all the money that, they're, you know, that they've been spending on the Pac-12 network. It would take away the excuse that all these uh, top officials at the Pac-12 need to be double-salaried because they're doing so much work on the network as well as on the conference. And... Uh, and say you're on your own. And I know people like, you know, Oregon state and Washington state might not like that. Uh, but, uh, I don't think USC and UCLA have any other choice. I think they've got to start with, let's get rid of the network. It's a disaster. And then start working on what would get, you know, wider distribution. Is there a way that they could approach Fox, for example, and say, you know, uh, is there one of the Fox regional channels that has national distribution that would work really well uh, to distribute, say, every USC and UCLA, uh, you know, basketball game that's not on on the major network? And um, and first of all, USC and UCLA both have enough uh, TV uh, expertise and equipment that they can. You know, and there's not a school in the country now that can't broadcast their own soccer games and you know baseball games and water polo games and all of that. You don't really need to bring in a crew from the Pac-12 and pay them to do that. Schools have all that ability right now, and, and it would be more of an educational experience. Obviously, it'd be much cheaper to do it that way, and easily as effective. And you might have better distribution. <coughs> so. Um, so I think you're right. This is a, I think the, this is a crisis time where they just have to end it, not mend it. I don't, I don't think it's mendable, the Pac-12 network or the Pac-12 relationship that USC has, has there. It's just, and the dollars are just flying out the door. The $30 million that 
between uh, what the top networks got from this year's uh, Pac or this year's uh, NCAA tournament and what the Pac-12 got are irreplaceable. I mean, there's this, you know, I mean, this is, it's a disaster. I know the SEC a few years ago, and they weren't doing as well. They decided they'd do something about it, and they really they hired a guy to run college basketball in the SEC every single day. They went and hired the commissioner of the Big East, Mike Trangese, who'd done such a great job with the Big East, to kind of oversee it. And what they have, eight teams in the tournament this year. And uh, just uh, uh, this is the SEC. This is the football SEC, not, not the Pac-12 with the basketball heritage in the Pac-12. And yet they did something about it. And the Pac-12 just sits there and doesn't do anything about stuff like that. They've got to – somebody's got to take the leadership role. I think, you know, Max Nikias is in a position uh, to do that. And I think USC is in a position to do that. I think they. I think it's time where USC has to pretty much assert itself and say, look, this is what has to happen. And uh, we're not going to take – you know, no for an answer at this point, because this is not working. And uh, the people at the Pac-12 have no answers. All of their answers basically have been proven to be disastrously uh, incorrect. And, they, you know, they don't have any idea what they're doing. How would they get the right answer? But, uh, but USC needs to, to, I think, take the leadership role at this point. And you're, you're absolutely right. And one last topic, Dan, before I let you go. Uh, it's about Todd McNair. We had a text from Marcel and an email from Jason. I'll read you both. Uh, Marcel says, San Gabriel Valley wants uh, comments about the Todd McNair trial. And he was uh, talking about, there was an LA Times article that came out recently. And then Jason Longhorn Country said, do you think this McNair case will actually make a difference as to the nationwide perception of SC or the NCAA? For example, ESPN did not even run an article about the Emmert deposition. CBS Sports ran an article but noted that the judge was an SC alum. The LA Times is running articles, but people around the nation will view that as Homer reporting. It seems like even if McNair wins big and the NCAA is hammered and exposed, that the press will either not cover it or spin it to make it look like the NCAA got bullied by Homer judge slash court. Yeah, I think that I think that'll play into it. But I think if it goes to trial, <clears throat> next week i think the potential of i mean the media likes sensational trials i think that the trial has the potential to be sensational usc is conflicted however because they didn't ever once they you know the initial defense of uh todd mcnair you know went away uh usc pretty much distanced themselves from anything to do with this case so when Judge Schaller rules that, you know, the NCA couldn't get this case dismissed and that, uh, you know, he was going to look at the emails and he looks at them and he says, you know, there's clearly, you know, there's malice here and, and, and grounds for defamation. Uh, yes, he didn't respond at all. They acted like that didn't happen. So USC set the tone for not paying attention to what was going on in the McNair case. So it would be almost unfair if USC got any benefit going forward at this point. I think they will. I think people already, I think people know what happened. They don't want to necessarily admit it. I think the McNair case can make that, you know, be more of a reality. 
but uh, but I don't know that they can avoid it if if it is you know the kind of a trial uh, that the, the potential for the kind of trial there isn't a lot more a lot else going on in college sports at at you know starting next week so I think it has the potential uh, to draw the kind of attention but you know whether it'll be just the fact that you know here's the NCA lied and and corruptly changed facts and uh and broke their own rules in order to to take USC down they had to destroy the career of Todd McNair I think on a personal level you know on a human interest level that's a really big important story whether it institutionally goes to benefit USC. It, obviously, the NCAA did all that to, to hurt USC as badly as they could, and they treated USC in ways they didn't treat anybody else. So whether that comes through, I don't know. You know, Does it come through to USC's benefit, or do people say, wow, USC took all that? They treated them like that, and, and you know, Ohio State wouldn't have taken that. You know, Notre Dame wouldn't have taken that. Oregon wouldn't have, Alabama, no SEC school would have taken that. Wonder why USC did. Uh, that's the potential, you know, that might come out of it. And people would say, well, why, why would our school wouldn't allow the NCAA to do that to them? What about why did USC? And I know that was always the theory was, well, there must be a lot more going on that they just don't want anybody to know about or whatever. So, so I, I'm not going to predict how this might. Uh, <clears throat> redound to USC's benefit. I just would like it to redound to uh, Todd McNair's benefit and to the NCAA's everlasting, uh, you know, uh, disrepute uh, that, <laughs> that you want them to come out of here looking as bad as they acted and they acted really badly. And some of those people are still there and they ought to have to answer for it. And hopefully the trial does that. All right. Dan Weber does a great job for us over at uscfootball.com. We'll see him out there at practice tomorrow. Two practices left, Thursday, 3 p.m. at Howard Jones Field. You can come check that out if you're free. And, of course, Saturday we talked about the final spring practice. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to to those two, Dan. And uh, we'll, we'll see you out there chatting more about all this spring stuff. And we'll talk to you real soon. Yeah, okay, okay. And uh, both in full pads, we might uh, yes. note for Thursday and Saturday. So uh, always a good sign. Yeah. Uh, no, no pads on Tuesday, which was a little bit uh, warrant war, but uh, moving forward, full pads for the rest. So that'll be good. So that's Dan Weber. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. 
Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.